When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Yo, what's happening, Rush Nation? Welcome back. It's Monday and we are starting the week with an absolute banger. We've got a guest back, but before we get to today's returning guest, there's a little clue. And if you are watching this live, you've probably seen the heading, so you know who it is. Big man, how are you doing, mate? Welcome to the 12th of... I don't know, could say January because it snowed, but it's actually April. So, you know, we've had it all today, right? Crazy day, sun, snow, wind, sleet. Um, It's literally been a a whole whirlwind of emotion. So I was actually messaging a couple of folks on Twitter uh, privately, and Bob Lang was one of those, and was saying, yep, we've gone through all this, and it's 12.48 p.m. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been been crazy. But, yeah, it's all good. And obviously today is a momentous day. Um, It's been wonderful to see my Facebook timeline filled of people getting haircuts, people ditching their children at all available outcome to go and have a pint in in a pub garden. Um, I, I actually feel like I did yesterday. (laughs) <laughs> i guess because i'm jealous i haven't had an opportunity to go and do any of that stuff yet but hey look i mean i was not Grab joining a a queue. At some I, point. Was, I was not going to join the queue for a barber um the weather this morning was atrocious so i wasn't going to go and have a beer and then i worked this afternoon so you know today was not the day to be unlike yesterday for me but you know we uh we strive on and shout out rush nation if you are watching this live in a pub garden please do tweet at us at five yard rush we would love to see you with a screenshot of you listening to us whilst in the sunshine in a beer garden remember drink responsibly and uh tomorrow is exactly the same as today but hey talking of drinking not drinking alcohol but there is a reference there let's get to today's guest so as you all know he is the editor-in-chief at number fire host of the late round podcast king of the short form podcast and since his first appearance on five yard has been on a journey to become a tea connoisseur it's jj zacharyson rush nation jj welcome back man how you doing I'm good. I'm good. Sounds like my uh, my weather experience today has been a lot better than, than yours. Uh, so I feel good about that. But it's good to be back on. Good to talk to you guys. No, it's good to have you back on. And I've got no doubt that your weather experience is probably better than ours. 300 <laughs> to 320 days of the year. <laughs> I'm sure we yeah. can pick any day of the year. And- I'm sure. Yeah. 
we all oh, saying that now it's glorious sunshine here so maybe jj's brought the weather with him but i mean jj it's, it's been a it's been a hot minute since you've been on how are things going for you since the pandemic started you know what have you what's what's good for you what's new for you now since since you were last on yeah i mean the well, pandemic happened and is still happening since i've been on last uh <laughs> so you know fortunately i i've been i've been a lucky one never ha- haven't knock on wood gotten gotten covid and um now vaxxed up which is which is great um so yeah just kind of kind of getting through like everyone else you know lots of ups and downs lots of uh questioning what's going on what we should do what we need to do but just trying to stay focused on uh you know my 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 outlet which is you know this fantasy football stuff and and really you know honing in on that and having fun with it yeah absolutely it's it's, it's been such a crazy uh crazy experience to i mean i guess for you not much has changed you were at home doing bits and pieces anyway and uh but it is strange to to think that you know you're almost ready for it i guess in advance because you do what you do and you've been talking beforehand it's like you showed the world how to handle the pandemic that's the thing. That's the thing. Everyone now understands my obsession with elastic waistbands around, you know, for my pants. Like I wear gym shorts literally like 365 days a year. And now people sort of understand the, the, the whole, uh, you know, get home from somewhere now and, you know, unbutton your pants and take them off right away and put on some gym shorts because it's a lot more comfortable to, to live that way. There's, there's... Although I am wearing jeans today, which is strange. Uh, normally I'm with you. I'm with the shorts or or <laughs> elasticated bands uh, either way. But I hope my boss isn't listening. And if he is, then I'm just saying this is a joke. <laughs> and I'm, I'm fairly sure I've seen elasticated jeans, right? Yeah, I guess they are a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so JJ, you got you got tea in your hand. I got tea in my hand. We we've gone through this journey. Or originally it was you you did tea in a microwave, then you got a kettle. <laughs> Has there been any more evolution in your in your tea game? Are we on loose leaf tea now? Have we got a fancy where you are? I, I would say nothing's really changed since uh, since the kettle. But look, I, you know, I think that that's that's at least a step up from where I was before having. And I will say, I will say this too: is that there absolutely is a massive difference between <laughs> microwave tea and tea in a kettle. You've basically gone from Kalen Bellage to. Um, I don't want to say Frank Gore. Uh, what's a good comparison? Sort of, yeah, safe I'm, running. You know, sort of maybe all, like maybe like a Kalen Balaj to Tevin Coleman or something. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's yeah. The, that's the route. Yeah, Kalen Balaj to Tevin Coleman. That's kind of where you are. I think you're better than Tevin Coleman from a T game, but yeah, I think, well, well, I think you've massively undersold regular tea there, Murph. I mean, like eighty five percent of the population just throw a tea bag in a cup with a kettle. Tevin Coleman is not is not the uh, Andy Dalton line of tea. <laughs> I, yeah, no. I mean, it, uh, what, what, what uh, Saquon Barkley? Then what is he of the tea? Anyway, we're, we're massively off topic. I mean, <laughs> JJ, that. JJ, what's new for you, content wise? What are you doing now that perhaps you weren't doing the last time you were on? Uh, honestly, it's more or less the same. You know, we're doing a little bit <clears throat> more video work over at FanDuel and, and Numberfire, um, you know, streaming a lot more and doing that kind of stuff. But I'm still, you know, uh, going really hard with the late round podcast and such and really putting a lot of effort into that. Yeah, it's, it's showing the podcast is great. Still Thanks. continue to listen every every day, every week. And um, it, it's great what you do. And I, I love what you've done this year. And we'll get into bits of it because I love how you continue to break down the rookies and you have your model and the way that you talk through your model. And, and we're going to use some of that knowledge today to, uh, to some of the listeners, I think to, to give them a bit of a, a, a leg up, but talk us through your, your 2020 fantasy season. So how did you get on? Was there any, uh, anything that you kind of learned? I know you've just done your series on your podcast about uh, things you learned in your process from, from 2020, but um, what, what were some of the, the takings and findings from that? Yeah. So I, I think there are sort of two things. Um, you know, one was one that I felt good about going into the season, which was the quarterback position. Um, you know, it was one, obviously I've, I've drafted my quarterbacks late throughout my fantasy football career. Um, but you know, going into last season, it was very obvious that the quarterback market was the most efficient that we had really ever seen, or at least I had ever seen, uh, since I started analyzing fantasy. And, and really what I mean by that is, it was ranked in the ADP wise. It was all listed very properly in my opinion. And that's based off of the fact that 
you know, the market seemed to adjust finally for these rushing quarterbacks and that really giving you a true edge at the position. Whereas, you know, traditional pocket passers don't give you that edge. And so going into the season, um, you know, I thought that, that it was a season where it made a little bit more sense to, to reach more than I typically would at the quarterback position. And I think that's going to stay pretty consistent into 2021 um, until we see, you know, more of these dual threat passers enter the league, which we're about to see some. So, you know, if some of these guys hit, if Trevor Lawrence hits, if Justin Fields hits, if Trey Lance hits, um, you know, then all of a sudden, uh, you know, you're going to have probably 12-ish of those dual threat passers. And then all of a sudden, you know, you can wait and wait and wait at the quarterback position again. And you know that you're going to get a reasonable starter at the position. So there is this sort of like window right now where going more of like the eighth round, ninth round to get that passer, which back in the day was a late round quarterback. It's just not anymore. Um, it makes sense to do that. I think this season, so that was one learning. I think the other one though, you know, with the pandemic and with the way the season sort of came about with no preseason and, and, you know, the, the lack of camp um, I think that the bottom line is that good players are good. Um, and I, I know that seems very, very basic and obvious and stupid, but um, it's, it's really the fact that like we see, we, we saw rookies, you know, we, we knew that going into the season, like the rookie wide receiver class was very, very good on paper and through the draft. We saw that with a lot of first round picks. Um, but, you know, we were a little, we, you know, the, there was reason to question whether or not they would be able to perform uh, because of the lack of reps that they were getting, uh, you know, before the season started, but it didn't matter. And I think it sort of goes back to like, remember when OBJ was a rookie, uh, you know, he was, he was banged up, didn't start until like week four or five. Um, and then he just blew up. And, and I think that that is just another example and instance where if you have a truly elite talent, that player is going to perform and is going to produce. Um, and that's what we saw this season. So I, I think that it's just another uh, reminder to, uh, to not overinflate and overemphasize things that maybe aren't as easy to measure um, and really, you know, just go down to the core, which is how talented is this player? Yeah, because it was quite extraordinary, really. We, I guess for me, when I was analyzing this rookie class from last year with no OTAs, with no uh, training camp, no preseason, take a while for these guys to get on on script really and so therefore you're sitting there down a round or two because i thought there would be that adjustment period and that adjustment period still happened you look at someone like justin jefferson you know he didn't really get going until about week six in the season but then when he did it's as you say with obj he just took off and he just absolutely dominated to have the best wide receiver fantasy football season I've ever seen. I can't think of one that was as productive points wise, touchdown wise, as, as touches wise as, as his. So um, it was quite extraordinary to see that it wasn't just him. It was a load of a load of these other rookies, Brandon Ayuk. I know he didn't quite get the finish we wanted, but if you think who he was playing, who his quarterback was, yeah. to, to even get a wide receiver three performance out of <laughs> out of his season was nothing short of spectacular, really. Um, so I, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think that was that was fascinating. Was there any real surprises for you in the 2020 season in terms of um, perhaps players that massively overperformed that really just didn't step up to the plate when we thought that it was going to be a good season for them? Um, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything. Um, I, I would say that you know I, I think that the season definitely taught us that that patience is definitely still a virtue with fantasy football. You know, we we mentioned the the wide receiver position, but like the running back position was the same way. Where you know you have to be patient with these rookie running backs whenever they're coming out, and um, you know we saw that for sure. Uh, you know, this past season with uh with with the, the rookie class, but guys who overperform that I that I. Or, or underperformed that I thought I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Do you think? Do you think with that though, JJ, that was landing spot specific with rookie running backs because they all landed in committees for the guys that we expected to explode? Yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. I mean, so so with the running back position, you know, I'm part of that group of uh, you know running backs aren't that important. The value of the running back position in real football isn't that important. Um, and so you know, as a result of that, I think a lot of people think that that would translate to fantasy football. But it doesn't necessarily translate to fantasy football because in the end, you know, we need volume with all of our players, whether it's running back, tight end, wide receiver. Um, and, and with the running back position, you know, you're looking at talent because you want that running back to ascend through the depth chart. Right. And so if there's a talented running back, even though talent, you know, uh, for, for a real football team 
doesn't matter that much uh, because you can throw different running backs behind the line of scrimmage. As long as the offensive line's good and the offense is good and schemed well, it's not that big of a deal, whether or not that running back, you know, the Delta between the most talented running back and a, and a running back, maybe a little bit below that, or, or even, you know, an average one isn't that significant, um, but it matters for fantasy because you want these players to ascend their depth chart. You want coaches and then put them on the field. And then once they're on the field, you know, they're able to perform and, and continue to get touches um, and, and rack up fantasy uh, points. And so when you look at this draft class, yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. They, a lot of these guys landed in situations that people weren't necessarily excited about, especially from a redraft perspective. You know, Marlon Max injury opened things up for, for Jonathan Taylor, obviously. But J.K. Dobbins was in a backfield with, with both Mark Ingram and, and Gus Edwards. And so his, his breakout was later. But I think that you could look at that backfield and say, J.K. Dobbins is probably the most, uh, you know, has has the most upside and is the best running back of those three. Um, and the same thing with like a Cam Akers. You know, there's there's guys that fell into these places and DeAndre Swift to a degree. Uh, these guys who fell into places where there was a tandem, um, but it just takes a little bit of time usually for that talent to really surface. And usually it does surface. So do you think, J.J., with, with that and the fact that we are starting to see more of these running back by committees, we're seeing... I don't want to say the death of the bell cow because that's players are getting a, a huge portion of touches out of the backfield. But do you feel now with the the seventeenth game coming in, with that there are more running backs coming into the NFL through whatever medium, that there are going to be a lot more. It's what you saw at the position maybe 10, 15 years ago before we had this elite explosion of of running backs that were coming through and getting line shares of touches. Do you think the game's going to kind of back that way? Or do you think we're going to more bell cows as we go through with more games? I think, I think what's going to happen, you know, from a projection standpoint, because I, I always try to wrap my head around that first, you know, from, from a projection standpoint, I think we'll see wide receivers still see similar target shares that they've seen in the past because it's not that big of a deal. Uh, but at the running back position, I could see situations where, you know, the running back rush share for some of these guys um, you know, is, is a little bit lowered, but I think it does less for their backups and, and more for what those guys fantasy ceilings are. So instead of like a Tony Pollard having standalone value, I don't think that value is going to be very predictable as long as Ezekiel Elliott is healthy. Right. So maybe in a best ball format, you can feel a little bit more comfortable drafting some of these backup running backs. Um, but overall, you know, I don't think they're going to be like these, these plug and play players because of this one extra game and who, you know, I, we'll see what happens with the data that, that we get this season. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of speculation just around like how coaches might handle that. Um, but I just don't think it's going to be so, so significant that we should drastically like alter our draft strategy or anything. Good to know. One, one other question. Cause I was keen to, you obviously dig into very, very specific metrics and, and you do a lot of data analysis and I don't know if you've done this yet or plan to do it around injuries at say the running back position because of the amount they'll use and the amount of workload have you done any form of projection where that extra game might be an indicator in terms of more injuries at the position and and things to be wary of in that way in terms of but just asking the question yeah i haven't i haven't done anything with the injury stuff um you know i, I talked to edwin poros from uh fantasy points um on, on my podcast a few weeks ago he had great insight on just the the fact that we generally overstate um, you know, injury proneness and what it means. I mean, the fact of the matter is running backs are all injury prone, if you will, because they're, they're all getting destroyed on a, on a week to week basis and their <laughs> bodies are getting banged. Uh, and so it, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, instead of, instead of, you know, side, you know, of course there are going to, going to be some players who are coming off injuries or, um, you know, reason to be a little bit skeptical about their outlook, but, you know, overall all running backs have, have an injury proneness label to them. And they're all in the same playing field here with that 17th game. So, you know, I, I haven't looked into it that much, but um, I'm probably not going to adjust, you know, at least for this season that severely. We, we've talked about some rookies. Let's dive into it a little bit more. For players who might be new to Dynasty Football or maybe struggle to evaluate the NFL rookies in general, do you have any top tips that you can give to people to sort of give them a level up on what they're currently doing or help them to learn a little bit about the rookies coming in that maybe they should be looking at but don't know to look at? Yeah. So I, I think there's a few things. Um, you know, one of them is that, you know, a lot of people try to um, try to take on too much when they're evaluating this stuff. And what I mean by that is, you know, don't ignore obvious signal. 
Uh, and one of those obvious signals is straight up draft capital, right? Draft capital is your friend. Don't have take lock. If a guy, you know, if you like Jamar Jefferson or something, this, you know, running back entering this draft and he ends up going in round six, uh, you have to understand that that running backs historically that are drafted in that area don't perform very well. Whereas, you know, if a guy that you didn't like, let's say that you don't like Trey Sermon that much, but Trey Sermon might end up being the fourth, the fourth running back off the board in this draft. And if he goes in round two or three, then you have to boost him a little bit because that draft capital matters for, for a few reasons. I mean, it's, it's the fact that there's millions of dollars backing these teams and they're saying, this is the guy that we want. Yeah. All it takes is one team to do that. You know, I think that's like what happened with like Andy Isabella a few years ago, a couple years ago is that the Cardinals were the team that really want, you know, I think if other teams were drafting Isabella, he might've been a fourth round pick and that was a reach, but generally speaking, you know, draft capital has signal to it and it helps out from an evaluation standpoint. Then you're also going to see guys who were drafted earlier, uh, get more volume earlier on in their careers and get that opportunity first. Um, which is why running back draft capital matters more than wide receiver draft capital. Um, but you can also just find trends with data. Um, and, and some of those trends are really, really basic. So, you know, production does matter at the running back and wide receiver positions. So you can look at market share numbers, you know, the percentage of yards, receptions, uh, touchdowns that players get within their offenses um, and kind of go from there. But, you know, something's, something is really uh, something as simple as whether or not a wide receiver declared early uh, can tell you a lot. I mean, there's a, there, there's a lot of data to suggest, and I'll talk about this later a little bit, but there's a lot of data to suggest that, um, you know, non-declare wide receivers, uh, non-early declare wide receivers bust at a way higher rate than early declare wide receivers do. And it's intuitive, right? Because if you're coming out early, that means that you likely know that you're number one talented and number two going to have pretty good draft capital or else you'd go back to college and try to have another great year. So it's a red flag if that player is coming out after having a, a breakout fourth season uh, because his age adjusted numbers, you know, don't look as great. Um, and then the last thing I would say is don't fall too in love with landing spot. Um, you know, it's a, <clears throat> if you're looking at it from a dynasty perspective, obviously you got to have at least some sort of long-term lens uh, while you're, while you're viewing this stuff. One of the things that I've found actually is that some of the best values historically in rookie drafts have been second round running backs who had a day two who had day two draft capital. And so the reason they fall to the second round of rookie drafts usually is because there's a running back listed ahead of them on the depth chart and they're not able to get that work right away. Whereas we've seen day three running backs go in the late first round. It's like Samaj P. Ryan way back in the day. He was a he was a late first, early second round rookie draft pick because no one was in that Washington backfield. Um, whereas you should still lead with talent a little bit more and that draft capital. You know, we saw it last season, Antonio Gibson, um, you know, he was a riser, obviously AJ Dillon's risen a, a little bit, even, you know, despite the fact that Aaron Jones still resigned there, um, you had plenty of opportunity to sell high on AJ Dillon if you wanted to, or, you know, you just held and he still has uh, decent, decent value uh, overall. So, um, you know, look at those running backs who might not get that immediate opportunity um, that are buried. Um, but then, you know, that, that had that good draft capital capital. Damian Harris is another example. He's not like, you know, some world beater. He's not, he's not going to be an RB one, but he's still a usable back who was drafted in that mid second round. Absolutely. I think, um, I think that's fascinating. A lot, a lot of what you say there, cause it, it's so true that especially landing spot. And the thing I always try and explain to people who are perhaps picking up the game for the first time, especially dynasty is seven or eight coaches get fired a year. <laughs> So whatever situation that uh, a player might put themselves in um, and it doesn't work out, you'd be amazed what the new coaching staff will come in with that, you know, new fresh perspective and inversely the same way that you could have someone drafted really high who is all of a sudden in a very confusing situation because they haven't had the draft capital invested in them. And now all of a sudden they could be on the, the outside looking in. So I think you're right about landing spots. Things change so quickly in the NFL that, you know, we saw it Antonio Gibson, as you mentioned, but you see it so often with with just the way that coaches change mid-season, uh, offensive coordinators get fired, someone else comes in and thinks, oh, I can use this guy in a different way. It's just, yeah, don't get too hung up because you'd be amazed at how things change. Yeah, and, and look, there's a lot of instances where landing spot can matter and will matter. You know, Alvin Kamara is a great, great running back. Don't get me wrong. I didn't love him at the time. My model didn't love him as a prospect when he was coming out. 
when he landed in New Orleans, I was all in on Alvin Kamara because the fit was just so perfect. And you have to keep that, you know, into consideration. But, you know, I did the opposite with A.J. Brown, right? I loved A.J. Brown as a prospect. And I'm like, eh, I don't love the, the landing spot in Tennessee necessarily. Um, and I bumped him far, far too far down in my rankings afterwards. You know, now I have a ton of them because I fortunately bought after his rookie season. But, um, <clears throat> you know, going into that rookie season, I, I didn't buy as low as I could have. And, and I think that, you know, you just have to take it case by case, but just don't overstate it. Yeah, absolutely. And so when looking at, you know, for listeners of the show who aren't listening to late round QB podcast, which I, I don't know why they wouldn't, there's probably maybe five people listening to this now who, <laughs> who aren't listening to your show. Um, and they should, you, you talk a lot about your, your model for, for breakout. You've talked about some of the um, metrics in there that you talk about. Is there, and you mentioned draft capital kind of being the, the real parallel to that and uh, early declare for wide receivers, but I know because I listen that the draft capital is, is the sort of most important metric, but is there anything like a lot of people get caught up on size and speed and um, quote unquote combine metrics. Is there anything in there that people should pay attention to outside of the production in college that, that will give them an indicator in terms of whether there'd be good fits for, for early round prospects, obviously depending on the draft capitals there and everything else is there. Yeah. So I I would say, you know, overall my stance on like the combine and how these guys test, you know, I'm, I get more excited about the combine because I have a uniform way to get height and weight of these players. Uh, It's less about for me um, the, the measurables and the athletic testing. Um, But, but I do think that it's good, um, you know, for, for, to have some sort of uniformity uh, with, with how big these guys are. Right. You know, at the same time, you know, if a, if a running back is really small, let's say, and he, he weighs in, you know, at Devin Singletary, for instance, weighed in pretty small, smaller back, he's like five, seven, <clears throat> you know, we see that similarly with like Michael Carter this year. Um, you sort of hope that they have some trait athletically that makes up for that size. And that's part of the reason why, you know, I wasn't on Devin Singletary and I'm not as high on Michael Carter is because both of them were slow. So you have that, that lack of speed, Combine and there, you know, Devin Singletary is a fine running back and he's been better in the NFL than I thought. Um, but it's one of those things where I'm just kind of looking at key measurables um, for, for, you know, if they're deficient size wise to see if they can make up for that in some way, but that's more subjective. Objectively, what goes into my model, I have zero athleticism metrics for wide receivers. I don't care how fast they run their 40. You know, if they run it at four, eight, that's, that's bad. You know, you don't want them to be like, you know, slower, slower than me. Um, but at the same time, that just doesn't happen, right? Like we can, we can talk about hypotheticals forever, but if these guys are testing and they're at the combine and they're good, you know, if they were good at the college level, um, they're like likely not going to run like a four, seven, five. Right. And so that's already filtered out through production. It's already filtered out through the fact that they were invited to the combine. They're not going to be slow players. Um, and so at running back, the only thing that I, that I look at is thresholds for, for certain metrics and the thresholds are honestly pretty low. It's really hard to not hit those thresholds, like, like speed score, which is just weight adjusted 40 time. Um, so, so I'm not really that into athletic measurables. It's just that like situations like this year where there wasn't a combine and I'm trying to grab, you know, these, the height and weight information from everywhere and see, see all this stuff from all these different sources. It's a little bit more difficult, uh, to, to work with, but you know, the models themselves really work off of, you know, I, I had this idea in mind where uh, I was looking at the first three years of fantasy output for running backs and wide receivers historically. Um, and, and what I did was, uh, was I tried to make the model be far more predictive than draft capital itself. So in my model is draft capital. Um, but what I'm doing is I'm saying, okay, if you were the first running back, second running back, third running back taken in the NFL draft, do you finish as the first running back, second running back, third running back over the first three years of your career, you know, versus, you know, your competition. Um, And so what I found was when you add some of these factors, so running backs, I have things like yards per team play, uh, touchdown share, reception share, BMI, um, and then obviously the draft capital. When you do that, uh, it basically is twice as uh, predictive than draft capital itself. Uh, And then for wide receivers, Draft capital matters a little bit less than it does at running back, but the same deal. I look at yards per team pass attempt, touchdown share, receptions per game, a little bit of BMI for wide receiver, 
Um, and then, you know, draft capital. I also look at for both uh, positions. I look at teammate score, uh, the conference that they played in at, at college. So all these factors are coming in just to be far more predictive than draft capital itself. Cause you have to think that, you know, the average fantasy manager is likely going to be more in line with draft capital and how that is predictive, uh, you know, for, for these fantasy assets at the next level. Um, so I'm just trying to beat that and be better than that. And it's not my end all, you know, I, the way that I rank players is not exactly how my model ranks players, um, but it's a really good way for me to, to learn, these, learn about these guys, dig into them a little bit more, and, and talk about them intelligently. That's, yeah, I appreciate the breakdown. I think that's amazing, and uh, I think that gives people a really clear understanding of, of what they should be looking for. Do you think that this year, with no combine, with obviously no in-person interviews that are being done over Zoom, uh, with the fact it is slightly harder and appreciate NFL teams can have many different ways, a lot more than you and I can of finding all this information out. Do you feel that there is potentially more, I don't want to say risk, but there is seems to be a, just even a, a marginal amount more uncertainty when it comes to the draft this year. And as a result, would you expect there to potentially be a few more misses than there would in given in normal years, given there hasn't been a combine, given there hasn't been, with these prospects and do the in-person interviews that they would have done, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I think that you definitely run the risk, you know, across the board of it being a little bit of a wilder uh, season than we typically would see. You know, I mentioned that I don't really care about athleticism metrics, um, but I should say that I think part of the reason I don't care and part of the reason why it doesn't matter in my model is because draft capital likely captures that, right? So if a guy runs a four, three and he's incredibly good, then he's going to be drafted probably, you know, teams might end up boosting him a little bit more. And, and that's why my model doesn't care because that's all captured within draft capital itself. So if we don't have those inputs to the same degree that we otherwise would, yeah, it might change things a little bit than, than what we've, we've typically seen. The, the problem is we're never going to know, like we're never going to really know how, you know, why, like, like if let's, let's say this draft class ends up being, incredibly incorrect the way that they're drafted and the order that they're drafted and how teams draft them versus the fantasy output that we see, or let's say ADP from a rookie draft standpoint is wildly off. Um, you know, we're all probably going to say, well, it's because, you know, we didn't have this uniformity with the way that, that people were testing and the combine didn't happen. But I think the sample size is too small for us to draw that conclusion. It could have just been a really bad year in general and a really tough year. And I think that, you know, wider, especially given this class, you could make that argument because the wide receiver position, you know, you don't have many alphas. You have these really like smaller guys, a lot of slot receivers. And, and so they're more interchangeable. They're, it's a little bit more difficult to evaluate them because of that. And then at running back, you have three guys and then just a bunch of, 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 you know, average prospects to below average prospects. So that's just going to create more ambiguity and create more, um, you know, more of these question marks in the way that we view this draft class after the fact. So, you know, whether or not it's the combine or not, you know, it might be, uh, but I don't think that we can draw that conclusion after the fact. That makes sense. And in terms of, you mentioned BMI being one of the aspects in your model, this is something probably a lot of people haven't heard before, unless they've listened to your show, which I guess most people are listening to this app, but in terms of the BMI debate, this is something that's come out more and more this year. And I know you had Edwin on and you, you talked about BMI, especially when it came to injuries. Why is BMI a consideration, especially for running backs? Um, and I appreciate you always sort of caveat it with, it's not like the decider, it's not predictive in its own nature. It's just something that, you know, is almost yeah. like a tiebreaker in, in instances of two players. But why is that so important um, given that all of these are fit athletic guys? Yeah. So, you know, I think there's, there's sort of two layers to this. So first off BMI matters more to, for my research at running back than does a wide receiver. Um, you know, I'm not as concerned about Devonte Smith's size as I am Michael Carter's size, for instance. Um, and so the reason for that is probably because these guys are being, uh, you know, they're, they're between the tackle runners versus a guy who's just got to beat a cornerback and, you know, you can use other aspects of your body, to beat that cornerback. Whereas, you know, the running back is taking on a big workload, but I think a lot of it also has to do with the fact that, um, you know, it has to do with scheme and it has to do with what coaches are doing. Um, and so if you are a coach and you're staring at a 200 pound running back, who's smaller in size, you inherently might not be giving him more touches. You just don't want to, whether there's 
science or reason or logic behind it, it doesn't matter because coaches are irrational all the time, right? It's the same deal where, you know, if you look at uh, whether a guy can pass block or not, and coaches don't throw them on the field then because they can't pass block on third down, even though third down is when running backs are running routes more and they're not actually pass blocking, you know, it doesn't matter about that logic. Who cares? You know, coaches are still doing what they're doing because they think that they're being logical. So I think with the running back BMI thing, uh, it probably has just as much to do with, with what coaches think and the fact that coaches want a 220 pound running back to carry the load as opposed to a 200 pound running back. Um, so I think it's just a combination of both things. Of course, I would rather have the bigger bodied player just because, um, you know, he's, he's larger and he can probably shed more tackles just naturally. Um, but at the same time, I I think that probably what's a bigger deal is how coaches think of these players and they're not going to throw them on the field as much. And if they're not going to throw them on the field as much, if they're smaller, then they're not going to produce as much in fantasy football. Do you think with someone like Rashad Bateman, who is one of the bigger dudes in this, well, was one of the bigger dudes in this draft class until his his pro day. Do you think his pro day numbers affect his draft capital on an NFL standpoint because of how he came in size and weight-wise compared to what he played to in college? Or do you still think that his college tape will do all his talking when it comes to his draft capital? Yeah, you know, I don't know how uh, in-depth... Not in depth. That's the wrong word. I don't know how granular the these NFL teams really look at this stuff. Like, you know, something like as simple as uh, a good example of this is like Travis Etienne, right? He weighs in at 215 pounds. He clearly just drank a ton of water before doing that and before before doing his workout. Like, there's no way Travis Etienne is playing at 250 pounds. He even admitted that he plays between like 205, maybe 210. Um, And so, you know, would an NFL team then say, oh, he weighed in at 215 pounds, therefore I'm going to draft him higher. I doubt it. Now, Rashad Bateman, you know, his, his, uh, the delta between where we thought he was to where he actually was, was fairly significant, right? It was like 20 pounds because he was listed at 210 pounds. That might change things a little bit, but I think at the end of the day with, with a lot of these front offices, what they see on film, what their analytics department says you know, that's what they're going to go with more as opposed to, you know, the, the size drastically changing things. Not only that, but wide receiver BMI isn't that big of a deal at the end of the day. You know, there are other skills that just matter so much more. And Rashad Bateman checks all those boxes. So I'm, I'm far less concerned about it. Is there any concern with, with Bateman that potentially COVID related as well, given the fact I know he did have COVID a while ago. It was last summer and that was a big reason why he decided not to play, which makes sense because he probably didn't feel well within himself and it could be some of the after effects of that and then actually now he might bulk up more I mean I guess because we don't know the full extent of this disease yet I mean that is, mm-hmm. that's something that could I guess teams might take into consideration or yeah I mean maybe they they, they definitely might you know it's the fact that like you know he's saying he, here, here's the one thing with Bateman though is that Yes, he dropped a lot of weight or he claims he dropped weight from COVID. And of course, that is a very reasonable and logical thing to think. Uh, But the difference is that he also, you know, to to the point about the athleticism measurables and metrics, he also ran his 40 incredibly fast and he tested really, really well. And it's it's almost as if his frame helped him with that. Uh, And it's sort of like a he sort of had like a Justin Jefferson type workout like we saw with Justin Jefferson last year's profile is actually not uh, totally unlike it. I think he's more of like a Keenan Allen type. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that people are, you know, front offices are going to be more inclined to latch onto things like, uh, you know, the, the, the route running and the, 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 in his hands, et cetera, than is BMI and strictly his BMI. So uh, we've talked about Bateman. Let's talk about some other rookies. We all know that Trevor Lawrence is the next Andrew Luck or John Elway or whoever he's going to be. And he's going to explode onto the scene and we're going to fall in love with him. Is there are there any other quarterbacks that perhaps fantasy players should target in their rookie drafts, maybe in Superflex or two QB leagues, or even in one quarterback leagues if if they want to wait a bit longer, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that all of these quarterbacks uh, of the big five, if you will, maybe less Mac Jones, but of, of the big five, they all offer something. You know, I'm a Justin Fields guy. Uh, I think I think Fields is an incredibly good prospect. Uh, he had strong numbers. He has the right analytical profile. And he did all that while playing some of the toughest competition that we've seen over the last decade, uh, you know, at the quarterback position. So I think Justin Fields is a really, really good prospect, especially for fantasy purposes, because he brings that rushing upside as well. And then I also think that people are probably understating and undervaluing Trey Lance's upside in fantasy. So 
very raw prospect from a, from an arm standpoint. Uh, but he honestly could end up being not quite Lamar Jackson. The, the, the comp that I loved most was my colleague, Jim Sonis. Uh, he comped him to, to a thick Michael Vick. Um, <laughs> and, and so, so that's seriously, you know, that's what we could be getting with a Trey Lance and imagine getting like 800 rushing yards, you know, 900 rushing yards in the season. I care a lot less about his arm. The reason I would care about his arm is for longevity purposes and him just being a starting quarterback. But uh, I, I think that people might be undervaluing that aspect uh, from a dynasty standpoint, because he could have maybe that Lamar Jackson type impact from a fantasy scoring standpoint. I wonder if people, because I've seen drafts going on right now, you know, dynasty startups where they're taking players who haven't even been drafted by their team yet or uh, best balls and stuff. I think, I think for me, Fields could be the steal if he, yeah, if he lands in a, in, a, in a good spot right now. And then let's talk running backs. I mean, you've mentioned that this is a thin class. How many of these running backs do you think are first round rookie picks uh, and who would they be? And then is there anyone you like later on that perhaps you think is, is good average to good, but might land in a good situation and be better than perhaps we think? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a big three at running back. I have Najee Harris one, Travis Etienne two and Javante Williams three, and then landing spot can, can dictate that and change that a little bit. Um, but then after that, there's just a massive, massive gap. I haven't seen a gap like that, uh, you know, in, in a while. Um, at the running back position, uh, there's just a big, you know, there, there's a lot of guys that, that could be the number four player, the, the, the number four running back, the guy that I think, and I mentioned this earlier, who I think is going to be the RB four right now, he's not the consensus RB four, but I think it's going to be Trey Sermon. Um, and the main reason for that, um, is that, you know, he doesn't pop in my prospect model because he, uh, you know, didn't have great production. He wasn't even the starter for the, the entire season. Um, but he had these monster, monster games when things mattered most. And I could see an NFL GM just falling in love with that. You know, he's a gamer. He's this big play guy. Um, and so them taking him as a result as the fourth pick, as the fourth running back in this draft. And the other thing too, is that, you know, the running back class, the wide receiver class, both of them have undersized players. And Trey Sermon is one of the few guys in this class who is 215 plus pounds um, and could be a legitimate workhorse in this class. So uh, he's the guy that I'm sort of looking at as, you know, the sort of the backup plan for some of these running back needy teams uh, that might not get a Harris ETN or Javante Williams in the first and second round um, that, that need that running back still. And he might fill the void on a team like Arizona on a team like Atlanta. And then all of a sudden he just rises uh, in these rookie ranks. And I could see, I could see Trey Sermon, you know, if not for the way the wide receiver class sort of shapes up, I think he could end up being a borderline first to second round rookie pick in the right spot. And along those lines, then do you have similar feelings for Ramondre Ramondre Stevenson or do you, because he is a bigger body back as well. You know, he, he's reported to have played at like 243 in college, which is ginormous, Um, but he's also fairly fast. So do you think he could have a sleeper appeal as well? Yeah, he's really interesting uh, because, you know, he was suspended at the end of his uh, second to last year there after transferring. And then uh, so he didn't play all of this past season. But when he was on the field, his production profile was really, really good. Um, And a bigger body guy like that, you don't always expect them to have great receiving numbers. Uh, But he had like a 13 percent reception share in that offense when he was active this year. Uh, I I think that he's in a very, very intriguing high upside back. Um, Will he have the draft capital to back that up. You know, if he's a day three pick, I'm far less interested. If he's a day two pick, then yeah, he would be in the conversation with Sermon as long as Sermon is that in that range as well. And then for the top three guys you mentioned, do you have a favorite landing spot for all three of those guys? Oh man, uh, I, would, I would say, you know, it'd be awesome if we saw ETN in Arizona. Would love to see him in that offense. Uh, you know, I think that People probably think that there's too much similarity between him and Chase Edmonds, but I'm kind of over Chase Edmonds at this point. And I, I like Chase Edmonds too as a prospect. I just kind of over it. Uh, Javante Williams would love to see him get an opportunity in like Atlanta, and then Najee Harris. I don't want the Steelers to take him in the first round because uh, I'm not I'm not a first round running back kind of person. But I do think that you know his fit with Pittsburgh makes a lot of sense. Whilst whilst you. I hate to play devil's advocate here, but whilst you say you're not a first round running back person, if a running back does get taken in the first round, then that is presumably fantasy gold because the draft capital yeah. is then extreme, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, you know, if I'm building an NFL team, I'm not drafting a running back in the first round. Uh, but if a running back goes in the first round, I'm trying to draft him. On my so fantasy. you're not drafting Josh Jacobs and then signing Kenya Drake two years later. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's, a, there's just so many, there's so many examples of why it's such a bad idea. I mean, even in recent memory. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, if a team uses that kind of capital on a player, um, you know, of course people will look back in recent memory and, and first round, first round running backs that were second half of the first round instead of the top half, they haven't really panned out that well. You have like Rashad Penny, Sony, Michelle, um, you know, you have, uh, have, uh, Josh Jacobs, who we were just talking about, and then Clyde Edwards, the last year who people are now down on. And then it's like, you know, but, but realistically the difference in draft capital will be for a running back, you know, in the back half of the first into the early parts of the second, it's not that significant, um, and so, you know, still look at the, the early parts of the second as sort of that same bucket, but people might not look at it that way, um, you know, because they're going to look at it as first or second round. It, it would be remiss of me not to ask about Miami with them being running back needy. And our, our producer Lee back there is a, a big Miami fan. and He's absolutely desperate for Harris to land at Miami at, at, at 18. If they don't draft a running back in the first round at 18, who would you like to perhaps see go there as a sneaky upside play then if it's not one of the big three? Yeah. I mean, I think it just goes back to the guys who are going to be able to handle a big enough workload. So, uh, you know, I'm looking at, at Trey Sermon again, um, who I think could, could usurp and, and take over that backfield, take over, you know, miles Gaskin. Um, another guy that I think I was going to mention later, but I'll mention him now. Uh, I really like Kylan Hill. Uh, he's my, he's my like super sleeper of this class. His production profile is just awesome. He's a bigger, you know, 214 pound back. Um, he had a great reception share, max season reception share. I always look at that. Uh, you know, if you have the receiving ability in college, not just because, you know, it translates to the NFL in some way. I mean, most, if not all of the good receiving backs in the NFL were also good receiving backs in college. Um, but it shows intent, right? That's, that's one of the main reasons we look at things like that. And we look at like, punt and kick return profiles is because it shows that a team is trying to utilize that player in a multitude of ways, as opposed to just running the football. Right. And so Kylan Hill did it all. Um, he's just not getting that much love right now. And you know, chances are he's going to be a day three pick and he's just going to flame out, but I would love to see him get an opportunity because I think he's a pretty good prospect. Agree. I love Kylan Hill this year. He's, I think I can't remember what I got. I mean, I got five or six now in my rankings for, for the upcoming playbook, but yeah, I'm massively in love with Kylan Hill and yeah. his tape's exciting to watch as well. So I'm, I'm fully on board with you are there. Uh, Murph, wide receivers, you haven't spoken in a while. Um, I know you like to sit there and listen occasionally. Wide receivers, JJ, this is a deep, deep class like it was last year. Do you do you have Chase as as your number one? And then how many of these guys do you think are first round rookie picks grades? Yeah, so I do have Chase as number one. I you know, I entered the offseason liking this wide receiver class a bit, and the more that I've studied, the more I've looked at it, the less I like it. And the main reason for that is I feel like a lot of these guys are going to be sort of being slot guys. If you're a slot receiver in the NFL, you're not nearly as valuable and you're not going to score as many fantasy points unless you're in this high-powered offense that throws the ball a lot. You're going to score as many fantasy points as a guy who can move all over the field and be a great red zone threat on the outside, etc., etc. So Jamar Chase, um, yes, he's now wide receiver one. I mean, plain and simple, the easiest way to think about Jamar Chase is when he was a sophomore, he outproduced Justin Jefferson, who was a junior, and Justin Jefferson just for rookie receiving yards. So obviously, something to say about Jamar Chase there, how good he can be. So I, I do have Jamar Chase on receivers at number a couple who are in a tier below, but I think two through seven at wide receiver are fairly interchangeable. And the guys that I have there are both Alabama wide receivers, Terrace Marshall, uh, Elijah Moore and Rondell Moore. I think I'm, I think that's everyone. I feel like I might be missing someone, um, <laughs> but, but yeah. So like, I, I think that those guys are going to be, uh, landing spot dependent in some way. Um, oh, Rashad Bateman, of course. Uh, they're gonna all be all. They're gonna all be landing spot dependent in some way. Um, and, and I worry, you know, about like Elijah and Rondell Moore being just slot guys at the next level, and their team's not really, you know, knowing what to, know. They have no idea what to do with them. Um, I, I think Rashad Bateman, like I said, could end up being a, a Keenan Allen type. So he's my wide receiver too right now. You know, Devontae Smith has some issues with his profile. You know, aside from his size, I think that people. You just assume that if you don't love, love, love Devonte Smith, 
that it's just a size thing, but there's a lot of marks on his profile that are a little bit scary. Uh, you know, the, you, you could look at his, uh, the, the late declare status uh, that, that he had um, where, uh, you know, he's, he's coming out as a senior and yes, he could have come out as a junior, but this is the information that we're working with. We don't know where he would have been drafted. We don't know what his capital would have looked like, what he would have done his senior season. Um, and, and here's, here's a really, really interesting. I, I think it's interesting fact about these non-declare wide receivers. We've seen 53 wide receivers draft in the first round since 2006 of those 53, 13 of them were not early declare receivers. Okay. So we have 40 that were 13 who weren't they. So, so the 13 played for a full four years in college among the 13 non early declares, five of them were able to post one 1000 yard season in the NFL. And the only wide receiver of that group to post multiple 1000 yard seasons was Dwayne bow. That's it. These, these guys, if you look back at first round wide receivers, who were who were non early declare who, who were non early declares they legitimately were not good it, it's not good the list is not great and the guys that we're talking about by the way that posted to a single one thousand yard season is guys like Kendall Wright like they're not special players so there's a lot that I'm worried about with Devonte Smith I think that he has a great ceiling because of what he did this past year um, but yeah so so I, I think there's like these just a lot of reasons to like shuffle these guys around and then see where they land and then maybe change it up a little bit. Um, but that, that two through seven, I think they're all worthy right now of being first round picks. I like how you just threw shade at, uh, Lee there for Devontae Parker in Miami. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. There's another, another one. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's one of the, one of the five that has, has one, uh, 1000 yard season, but that's it. Right. I mean, that's, that's the kind of player that you generally get. Now I will say one player who's probably going to buck this trend is Brandon Ayuk. Um, yeah. but, but he also was a Juco transfer. So it's, it's still a little bit different for even Brandon Ayuk than a lot of these other guys, because, you know, there were different circumstances surrounding him. And he also found, in my opinion, the best spot possible for his skill set. Absolutely. There's one wide receiver that is probably, I'd argue, the most polarizing uh, on the fringes of this first round debate. And that's uh, Kadarius Tony, given the fact that he played in, in Florida, uh, he obviously has these physical traits, but didn't really demonstrate it in great volume in college, but he has got enough on tape. Where's your stance on, on someone like Tony? Do we think he is someone who is worthy of a first round pick and, and is someone that can be a producer at the highest level? Or do we think that people are perhaps fooled by, you know, the, the flashes that he put on tape in, in 2020? So I'm right now pulling up my model and I am looking at all of the wide receivers who have had a negative stat score in my model who were then drafted in the first round. Cause I think we feel fairly confident at this point that Tony's going to be like, for, like I, I would, I would put money on him being a first rounder, maybe a second rounder, but if he is a first rounder, here are the guys who had a negative stat score in my model who were drafted in the first round. So this is out of those 53 that I talked about earlier. Cause my model dates back to 2006 uh, Brashad Perriman, Philip Dorsett, Kelvin Benjamin, Cordero Patterson, Darius Hayward Bay, Percy Harvin, Ted Ginn, Craig Davis, Anthony Gonzalez, and Henry Ruggs. That's oh, it. That's that's the that's the company that Kadarius Tony is in, given his profile, and that's why I'm not in. I, I think that if you were to pinpoint one player in this draft class who's going to be a first round wide receiver pick who's going to bust, it would be Kadarius Tony because there's really no. From a statistical and analytical standpoint, there are no redeeming qualities with Kadarius Tony. JJ, from a from a tape standpoint, there's not many either. <laughs> um, I listen. I'm a Florida Gator. You know, I I am a Florida Gator. I went to University of Florida. I love University of Florida football. There is a reason why there are not that many playmakers that come out of the University of Florida, especially in a Dan Mullen offense. The way that that offense is schemed, it's mm-hmm. not as NFL ready as most people seem to think it is, which is why. Carl Trask is falling down boards left, right, and center. And, you know, at one point he was a Heisman Trophy candidate, right. and now he's going to be lucky to be picked in the third round at the rate we're going. And Kadarius Tony falls exactly into that. Um, I actually prefer Grimes, and I think he's not going to go in, in any form of draft capital that's going to make him worthy of being drafted. But I think he's, what, looking at, what, a sixth round potential grade? But He's someone that, that interests me a bit more than, than Tony. I am very surprised, having watched the tape, having seen him play 
week to week and then seeing the analytics and thinking, I can't believe this guy's going to go in the first round because uh, it, he, he, yeah. he has made, he has a good highlight reel, but right. he didn't do it consistently enough. I'll, I'll say this. My model likes Canarius Tony more than they, more than it likes Van Jefferson. Oh, I missed. Sorry. Got out there. Oh, I, I would say, I would say, I would say this, that my model likes Kadarius Tony more than it likes Van Jefferson. <laughs> So at least say that. That's still not saying. Much. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not saying anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm with you. I just, um, I, I feel bad because I was in a, a group chat the other day and people were telling me about how much they love Kadarius Tony, and I was like, look, I've, I've watched enough of him to tell you that I just don't see it. Yeah, I don't see what everyone else is seeing, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, one player I do want to ask you about is is Jalen Darden out of North Texas because he he is a player that absolutely fascinates me. I just think, yeah, in terms of not just what he doesn't take, but his size, speed, the he, he's someone that could be completely versatile. He's going to need some coaching, um, but provided he lands in a decent scheme, is a day two pick, which I, I think he's going to go third, maybe fourth round potentially. But if he lands in a decent spot with a decent set of coaching, um, and maybe just takes a year to settle in. Is there, based on your model, is there any hope for him if he goes on on day two that someone that could be productive for fantasy football? Yeah, I mean, right now in my model, he he ranks fairly high because he had really insane production at North Texas. Um, but the the issue I have with a guy in, in a profile like Darden, like you can you know you can pinpoint a lot of the Darden types throughout most drafts is is the problem because they're undersized. Um, and they're likely to just play a slot role at the next level. So, you know, a good example of this is uh, like, let's look at him versus Amari Rogers, right? Amari Rogers is this bigger body. He's like a running back, right? He's like a, people are going to comp him to Debo Samuel because anyone who can get yards after the catch ability or has yards after the catch ability, they're automatically Debo Samuel. So a lot of people are going to comp him to Debo Samuel, which I can understand. Uh, but Amari Rogers production profile is not very strong at all, despite playing with Trevor Lawrence and, and playing at Clemson. Um, but at the same time, because of the position that he plays, he's going to be a slot guy. I mean, he might actually play in the backfield at times too, but you know, he's going to be a slot guy and realistically, you know, that become, that makes those guys, those like second tier, third tier type slot receivers, uh, more interchangeable in rank than what you would get out of like an Elijah Moore, because to me, someone like Elijah Moore, who's going to be a slot guy for sure. He at least has the upside, I think, to play more on the outside and be more of like a Tyler Lockett type where, you know, he plays 60% of his snaps from the slot, but he can still play opposite of a true X. Um, and so that that's the difference to me with a lot of these guys is that, um, you know, if you're, if you played a lot in the slot in college and nothing else, um, you know, chances are that's going to be where you start at the NFL. And then you have to show enough traits to be able to play on the outside to then, you know, become something bigger and better. Um, and a guy like Darden, my fear is that he's just not big enough, right? He's only like 174 pounds or something. And, and playing on the outside at that weight, you got to be special. You got to be Devonte Smith. Right. And so I just don't know if that's going to be there for him, but yeah, if he finds the right spot, like if he, if he has a slot role and he's in a high powered offense with a lot of passing volume, I will be buying Jalen Darden. So Tampa, basically. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> if Antonio Brown doesn't come back, if Chris Goldman leaves next year, you never know what might happen. Murph, I thought you were going to roll into the tight ends being a gator. Look, there's basically only one tight end. That every, there are other tight ends in this draft rush nation. Don't let that fool you. But there is basically one tight end everyone is talking about right now. That is Florida Gator Kyle Pitts. Given the history, JJ, of tight ends coming into the NFL and not being hugely productive in their first few years, is there a appropriate rookie value for Pitts in a in a one QB league and Superflex league, or are, are you sort of not willing to give up the draft capital that perhaps he's costing right now? Yeah, so I, I've gone back and forth on this. You know, at first I'm like, I'm never, I'm definitely not going to have Kyle Pitts, uh, just given where he's likely going to go. But just given what I talked about about the wide receivers from two to seven. I think you can make the argument that Pitts is right above that tier, and that he's like in the tier, but he's ranked. You know, I, I have him fifth right now. Like that, he's ranked ahead of the Batemans, the the uh, the Rondell Moore, both Moores, you know, Waddle, Devontae Smith, etc. Um, but you know, I think it depends on your your team construction. Obviously, you know, if you're in a tight end premium league or something like that, then he's going to get a boost. But you know, I, I would feel comfortable drafting him at five as opposed to drafting him above some of the big three running backs and Jamar Chase. 
Um, and look, I mean, I, I think he's the best tight end prospect that we've seen in probably since like Vernon Davis. Uh, I, I think that we would, that, that would be the comp, but even still, you know, he has more length than Vernon Davis did. He played, you know, he, he has the ability to play wide receiver more than Vernon Davis did. And that's why I think that he's a safer option than what people might realize or think, because, you know, you have that floor that a team can realistically move them all around the field very confidently. You know, if he were coming out as a wide receiver, he'd still be a first round pick, right? Like that's how good Kyle Pitts is. So um, just because of that talent, you know, I still have him at, at five. So with, with Kyle Pitts, do you think there's anywhere here that he could be a bit of a cheat code if he does land in the right scheme and the right offense and he ends up playing more slots or more, you know, more snaps at wide receiver than he does at tight end, say that he could have an advantage in that year one, given that he'll be under a tight end and the tight end position is, you know, fair to say without the exception of maybe the top two or three absolute garbage. Yeah. I mean like take the shot, right? Like why not? Why not just go for the upside? Because it's, that's, that's what you should be doing is striving for upside. And even though he's a rookie, there's so much historical evidence that rookie tight ends don't do a lot for fantasy purposes. And this, I, I get it, but you're, you're also weighing that risk against like these, these bottom of the barrel, not great, you know, uh, uh, tight end options to begin with in fantasy that are veterans, that their chance of breaking out is probably just as likely as Kyle Pitts as a rookie. Right. And, and the other thing too, I, I thought at, at one point I was like, yeah, tight ends don't produce as rookies. Therefore I'm going to pass on Kyle Pitts this year and maybe I'll trade for him next year. But dynasty dynasty managers are not that stupid, right? They're, they, they, they understand that, that like, I, I, you know, I would guarantee you that Kyle Pitts's 80 startup ADP rises from year one to year two. It's generally what happens with rookies. Uh, and it's likely going to happen with a tight end like Kyle Pitts. So get in on him now, because I don't think that it's going to be as easy to acquire him next season. So this, this fantasy rookie class, who is the one player that you feel will be overdrafted pretty much consistently across the board in, in rookie drafts this year? Yeah. So, you know, I don't want to be a Devonte Smith hater cause I'm not a hater. I, I really think that he's good. He looks great in my model, all of the above. Uh, it's just that, that people are going to rank him as the wide receiver two in this class. And I think that he's in the same conversation as a lot of other players. You know, I, I think a lot of people have him as a standalone wide receiver too. Um, but I don't have him as the standalone wide receiver too. I think that he'll be great. I think he's going to have a very good NFL career. I just worry about where that ceiling's coming from. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, a guy that I'm like obsessed with right now is Terrace Marshall out of LSU. Um, and, and you look at, you know, people make the excuse for Devonte Smith throughout his collegiate career and Jalen Waddle too, that they played with all this talent and they were, you know, they, well, if you look back, you know, they played with Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Irv Smith, Jalen, they, they both played with, um, and then they played with one another, right? Well, Jerry Judy, Jerry Judy was fine his rookie season. Henry Ruggs is likely going to be a bust. I mean, we can at least try to like project something. I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but maybe that competition wasn't as good as we originally thought. And it's, I think it's okay to adjust our previous ideas and, and thoughts around the teammates that they were playing with after the fact, because we got more information. And so then if you look at Terrace Marshall, he played with the guy who just broke the rookie receiving record and Jamar Chase, who's going to be a top five pick probably, right? He's playing with, and Jamar Chase outperformed Justin Jefferson. And by the way, Terrace Marshall, I know that I'm getting off topic. I just have to rant about Terrace Marshall a little bit. I love it. By the way, Terrace Marshall, before he got hurt the, the last year in 2019, when Joe Burrow was there, before Terrace Marshall got hurt, he played three and a half games and he hurt his foot. In those three and a half games, he was keeping pace with both of those wide receivers to some degree. I mean, it wasn't like he was on the same level as Jamar Chase, but he was at least keeping pace with those guys. He only had, I believe, I mean, he had more touchdowns than Justin Jefferson had through that point in time. He was only, he only had one fewer reception. I mean, it was, it was, it's just, it's very bizarre to me that people give, make that excuse for guys like Waddle and Devontae Smith, but then Terrace Marshall who had better teammates. Terrace Marshall arguably had better teammates and co- wide receiver teammates in college than he's going to have in the NFL. I would say that that's probably the case, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're not giving him that, that uh, benefit of the doubt. And then this past year, if he would have played the full 10 games instead of playing seven because he opted out, his profile would look amazing, right? And so that's why I think that there's these other guys in this class who are in the same tier as Devontae Smith, whereas we sometimes make excuses for Smith. And I'm saying all of this without even mentioning Smith's BMI. Right. And so that, that's why I think he's probably 
one of the more overrated players right now. You also forgot JJ that Clyde Edwards Belair was also on that team. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's wild, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that championship winning team for LSU might be one of the best championship winning teams we'll ever see when you look back at it all said and done about who played where, where their draft capital was, and eventually what they might achieve in the NFL. Madness. <laughs> it is mad. Um, one final question from us, JJ. I appreciate you, you coming on and all the time you've given us here. What is your one spicy hot rookie you like in 2021? What's a spicy hot take that you can leave us uh, with? Man, I, I don't know. So one that's not super spicy, I'll, I'll go with two. But one that's not super spicy, I do like Elijah Moore right now more than Rondell Moore, which I don't think is the consensus at this point. Um, so that's just a, that's just a, like a, a, you know, lukewarm take. But the other one I already mentioned, I think Kylan Hill is going to be the surprise running back in this class. I think that, that, you know, he has size when the rest of this class doesn't have size. He has a great receiving profile, which I love to see. Um, you know, if he gets an opportunity, I think he can, he can do well. Amazing. I love that. I know Stocks love that even more than I do. I do. JJ Murph said one final question, but we started with tea and we're going to finish it. Do you put your milk in first or after? <laughs> I put in zero milk. I'm a, I'm a milk-free tea oh, person. This, yeah. no, oh, no. I, okay, fair enough. We will leave tea the tea only. chat there. JJ, thank you so much for coming on, man. Where If people aren't listening to you, following you, or doing whatever it is they need to do to get your content, where can people find you, the podcast and stuff like that? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Late Round QB, and then the Late Round Podcast uh, can can be found anywhere podcasts can be found. That's it. Short, simple, and to the point. JJ, your stuff is phenomenal. Uh, Murph pointed to me just before you came on last time, and and since then I've been an avid listener. So I thank sure. you for your stuff. We thank you for coming on, and uh, I, I'm, we'd love to have you back at some point. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Murph, this has been fun as always. I flipped my hat around to finally show Lee some support for the Dolphins. Lee, thank you for everything you've done behind the glass. Rush Nation, this has been a blast. Until later on in the week or next week, not sure yet. Don't forget, as always, keep rushing. HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.